And welcome back to the Rambling Preacher podcast. My name is Jesse. I am your host, and I am excited to be here a bit early, offering a bonus episode on something I put together for a local uh, lecture that I did, and uh, I just wanted to put it somewhere else too. Um, So that is why I'm doing this. This is a bonus episode. It will not impact my normal plan. I actually intend on having another podcast. I depends on if I can get my friend on or not and what his schedule looks like. But my hope is, well, the necessity is it needs to be out before Halloween because what I'll be talking about is is the spiritual veil thinner on Halloween. And so that has been fun to look into and study out. And um, yeah, I don't want to give away too much now. So without any further ado, the topic at hand is uh, church and what do we look for in a church? And I know a lot of people on Instagram that connect with me, they say, you know, there's just no good churches here locally. Or, you know, the church that I attend, I think they're missing the mark on this spot. What do you think? And You know, I really do encourage people to stay in their local assembly as often as possible, as much as possible. And maybe that's the pastor in me that doesn't really believe in church hopping um, or being kind of lackadaisical about your commitment to a local church. Uh, But I usually push people and push against people and recommend you stay, fight through it, talk to the pastor, have the conversations that you need to have. Um, Offer correction, right? Like our church, we have an open door, open correction policy as long as the word of God is open, and then my door is open. And so we, uh, we're, we're always willing to handle those types of conversations, and I hope your church is too. Um, but I want to start with uh, kind of one of the reasons I think we're in this rut to begin with is uh, we're, we're in America, right? Like I, I don't know who might not be in America that listens to this, but the general overall uh, community that listens to this is American. And the American mentality um, is, is much like the Corinthian mentality, is much like many fallen well, the sinful mentality of me-centric, right? Sin is self-concerned. Um, our sinfulness is concerned about me, 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 me. And I think the American church and the America uh, country that we live in has kind of pushed this onto us as well. Uh, in fact, I, I heard this from a Theocast, but if you look for the word personal relationship in Christian theological literature pre-1950s, you will find nothing um, about personal relationship. Now, we can look at examples like David in the Word of God. We can look at examples uh, of people who had personal relationships with Jesus. That's not necessarily what I'm fighting against. Um, But part of the problem is we have this focus, right? It's not about religion. It's about relationship, um, which is, you know, we, we probably all have seen that video, which is it had the right heart, but missed the mark on some things. Um, but we live in a culture of, uh, you know, just independent individualism, you know, me and my Bible, um, me and Jesus, um, my dream, my purpose, right? And it's just this me-centric culture. And it's more than just Stephen Furtick. I think this is part of the problem in general, right? I, I think part of the problem we go to the churches we go to is because it matches what I, me, wants, right? So it could be, you know, well, I'm super reformed, and because I'm super reformed, I have to go to a church that is super reformed. And and I actually love, somebody reached out to me this past week and said, you know, uh, people always wonder why I still attend the church I go to because my pastor is uh, pre-mill, and I'm 
more of an Amil and my pastor is not ultra reformed and I am. And they're like, how could you still go there? Like, don't you want to fall, find a reformed church? It's like, not necessarily. I love, I love my church. I love my community. We don't have to be as, be as dogmatic on all the same things in order to fellowship and grow and learn and, and be there for one another. And I love that mentality because that's the truth, right? Um, oftentimes you talk to somebody who is say Pentecostal and they're like, well, they don't pray in tongues enough or, oh, my pastor doesn't even speak in tongues. I got to get out of here, right? Like heaven forbid, that's not a biblical, um, thing qualification listed for Titus and Timothy. Now, obviously their, their hermeneutical approach to Acts chapter two creates a theology in which, uh, anyone who's spirit filled should speak in tongues. Um, but needless to say, we we're very focused on, well, this is what I want, and so this is the church I will look for. And it's a very American ideal, right? If you're somewhere that's in religious oppression of Christianity, you're just excited to find somebody who found salvation in Christ with you, somebody who wants to read the Bible with you, somebody who would like to pray with you, somebody who would like to sing hymns with you, right? But in America, where there's a different type of Christian denomination on every other corner, we get to go here one Sunday and there the next, and really no discipline, not a lot of accountability, and it's just, well, I interpret my Bible in this way, and this what fits what I want, and me, 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 right? This is bigger than Stephen Furtick. This is pretty much every denomination, every single Christian attending a church slightly has a me attitude when the reality is common union communion right the purpose of the church is for the common good we actually have this obligation to one another um, and it's us and jesus right and so the problem is an individualistic ch culture creates an individualistic church um right? In Christ and Paul, they established these churches for corporate living. Um, you look at that in the Old Testament, you see that in the New Testament, you always have corporate communion, uh, a group of people together striving to a goal, right? Koinonia is uh, a partnership, right? Where there's this togetherness about the gospel. Once we're saved, it, it's not just I'm saved, it's I'm saved and grafted into a bigger picture, a bigger family, right? Um, and so I, I think what also is funny is the same pastor who said, you know, personal relationship pre-1950s doesn't exist. He's the same one that brought up the fact that, um, you know, many, many people for the first 16, 1700 years, uh, they didn't have access to the Word of God. So in my mind, right, if I didn't have uh, my common brain and my common mind didn't have access to the Word of God, um, I would be excited to meet together to read the Word of God. I would be asking if we could do it, hey, can we do it twice a week, three times a week, right? Um, and so, Anyway, now here we are, and we just all have our own Bibles. It collects dust on our nightstands, and that's a whole other can of worms, but we have this problem, right? And so initially, we see in Scripture that God even says with Adam, like, it is not good for man to be alone. And I don't think this is just a call to marriage. I think this is a call to the general, overall, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical welfare of mankind. We all need one another, right? Even the uh, the the truth of this remains in non-Christian circles. They realize the need for people and each other and togetherness, right? This is a, an underlying truth that God kind of built into the world. We need each other, right? And so I want to read to you, um, I'll read to you Ephesians 4. There was a few different passages I referenced, but I want to read this to you real quick. Um, in verse 1, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, right? We are all called to a calling, and that calling is the Christian calling of Christ and following Christ, um, the call of Christendom. 
in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, which I love the idea of bearing with one another because in our modern language, we might take this as like to wrestle with or struggle with, but really it means to bear one up, to hold them up firmly. And I love that. And it says, bear them up uh, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? Not a lot of people are eager to maintain unity anymore. <laughs> that In fact, they're quite the opposite. You offended me. I am eager to get out of this building, right? Uh, in verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, right? And our call is a corporate call. Individual parts, individual functions we see in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, but ultimately one body, one hope, in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Um, right? And so we see this, and the problem is the church has failed us. The American church has failed us, right? We, we preach about the glorification of self. We, we, we're focused on the numbers. We're focused on the growth strategy. We've built in a CEO business type of model into the church system, and, and we're so concerned with the glory of man over the glory of cross that we've just done such a disservice to the Christian, um, and so that's part of the problem. Um, let me look here. I'm going to jump over to the next. I'm, I'm skipping over some things, so bear with me as I make sure I want what I want to cover and what I want to talk about on this particular podcast. I'm still just referencing my notes um, from last Thursday. So the first question is, what is a church, right? Um, most current ideas of church have been shaped by history, tradition, culture, society, and hopefully scripture, right? As you, if you're sola scriptura or uh, more of a Protestant lean, you're going to look to the Word of God. Uh, most people would know by now, I hope, that church is not a building. You don't say, oh, we're going to the church. Um, no, we're meeting with our church, right? And the first mention of this is math, Matthew 16, 13 through 20, but I'll, I'm only going to read verse 18 for the sake of time. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Love that. So who founded the church? Well, Jesus Christ. So if Christ founded the church, do we need to be a part of it? Yes. Uh, pretty rhetorical question, because once you are saved, you are grafted in by the Spirit, you are a part of the universal Christian church, whether you want to be or not. So the question becomes, do we become a part of a local assembly, a local set of believers? Well, if you're reading through the New Testament and you're reading through the Old Testament, you will quickly realize you cannot come out of reading the Word of God hermeneutically, uh, accurately, and come out with an individualistic religion. This is not an individualistic religion. It's not an independent me, myself, my Bible, me, myself, my studies, me, myself, right? That is what happens when you separate yourself from a local church for months or years on end. You're going to come out wonky with different sets of beliefs than the uh, the expected orthodox traditional norm, right? And that's part of the reason I, I don't hate what the Lutherans are doing. I mean, they are very Catholic-leaning, right? But they get things right in the right areas, um, but they don't forsake tradition unless clearly against scripture, right? Whereas most Protestants, you know, we've got the regulative principle crew that says we can't do anything unless it's prescribed in scripture. Uh, and so we have this debate and debacle and who can align with who, and I am like this, so I'm going to find my tribe, and it becomes a tribalism battle, right? And I think anyone I've talked to on Instagram knows my opinion on tribalism and uh, Christian tribalism. I think it's a, a 
a really big issue in the American church. And it really is because we have this fast food mentality. We have the privilege of having these preferences. Um, but ultimately, like I said, if you were in somewhere that was, uh, you were underground as a church, you could not have these church preferences that you have today. So, but bear with me because we actually do have these preferences. And so what are things that I think are non-essential, are not non-essential, that are essential um, in looking for a church? Before looking for a church, or may, maybe you moved, maybe you're considering a new church, I want you to, the first thing you do is just pray, pray, pray. You cannot do anything without prayer. Um, and be spirit-led. Don't be personal bias-led. Don't be personal preference-led. Don't be me, 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 me-led. Be spirit-led, right? And then know that it is a brutal necessity to find a church home. Uh, if you are somewhere where you're like, well, there's no good churches within the area, either join the best you can find, which it may not be great, but join it, um, and, you know, maybe push and pull and challenge in biblical ways uh, for a healthy growth of the church. Um, but if you ultimately really cannot find a church in your area that is accessible uh, accessible, and, and you're able to uh, be a part of, then I would recommend moving with, with everything in me or trying to reach out to church, church planting networks. Um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of them, so I'm not going to name any, but reach out to church planting networks and say, hey, I'm a Christian in this area, and we do not have a gospel-centered church in the area. Can you help us? Can you try to get a church here, right? There are ways today with modern technology to not be alone. Um, in Hebrews 10.24, I think most of us will know this, but it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So these are, um, I boiled it down to 10 things as best as I could. And so I'm going to spend hopefully no more than 15 minutes going through these 10 things. Um, I want to read, and I know this is a descriptive moment, but the first church after Christ is found in the book of Acts. And we, we see the Spirit came down in the upper room. Um, and, you know, however you interpret that, I will leave for another podcast. Uh, but we find later on in verse 42 what the church began doing upon some revival and upon being spirit-led, right, and being spirit-filled. In verse 42, you see, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to pause there. Apostles' teaching, devoted to teaching, and the fellowship, which is koinonia, which is partnership, to the breaking of bread, which that is more of our modern sense of fellowship, where you're just hanging out and eating together, and the prayers. So they were praying together. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And that is kind of a little footnote of something that needs to probably be addressed as capital A apostles, healing, permanently residing. No, yes, maybe so, right? Like, I'm not too focused on that at this moment. Uh, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I know a lot of people are going to miss, kind of misconstrue and miss, uh, I don't want to say misunderstand. Um, but they're going to build kind of a dogmatic theology that isn't really there, right? I've, I've known people that say, and they quote verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
right? We should be having church every single day. Um, and that's not necessarily true, right? But the, the first thing I want to note too, or second thing I want to note too, is that I've, I've heard people that kind of attribute this to a growth strategy, right? Oh, well, if you do these things, the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Um, no, this is an organic response to the gospel and becoming uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what do we see here, right? I kind of broke it down into seven things we see, but it becomes a list of 10 things we should look for. So one, devoted to learning the apostles' teachings, which prophets and apostles gave us the scriptures. They were dedicated to koinonia, which is a common union partnership for the gospel. Three, breaking of the bread, uh, which is fellowship, prayer, praise, shared all things, no needs were met, uh, left unmet, glad and generous, their character, um, and salvations were occurring. And so the 10 things that I want to boil this down to, and I likely will create this as an Instagram post as well, just to give people a resource. Um, but the 10 things I see are uh, teaching, number one, teaching, but it blends into what is their doctrine, right? And so there are core doctrines and the, you know, we're in America, so maybe you can be a little more picky and a little more preferential to certain things, right? Maybe you want an Arminian pastor. Maybe you want a Calvinistic pastor. Maybe you want a continuationist pastor. Maybe you want a cessationist pastor. Maybe you want a church that is confessional. Um, and these things do matter. Uh, I think, obviously, I think there are more preferences than necessity when you get really down into the nitty gritty of an essential, I'm really talking the core doctrines, like what do they believe concerning the Trinity? What is their Christology? Is the gospel being preached? No legalism, no antimonianism, um, which that, that's a hard one because I think a lot of churches nowadays, uh, as loving as they are, as great as they are, they might have a legalistic lean or an antimonian lean. Uh, less antimonian, more legalistic, I would argue, but nonetheless. And then infallibility and inspiration of scripture. I think those are very, very important doctrines that they should be holding to. And we see that in Acts 2, where it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Also, I would put under teaching, are they committed to the logos? And yes, I use the word logos intentionally because um, there's the debate of sharper than any two-edged sword. Is that Christ? Is that the scriptures? And Spurgeon came in and said it's both, and they thought he was just trying to get out of, you know, picking a side. But I actually err on the side with him, right? I believe the logos is Christ, and... Um, you know, as we see in John 1, and the Word of God is Christ, and to separate these two would be um, a, a travesty, right? I think, uh, so are they committed to the Logos? And that means, are they committed to preaching the gospel faithfully? And are they committed to preaching from the Word of God faithfully, right? Are they giving words of TED Talks? Are they giving words of encouragement, but no, never scripture? You know, maybe one verse, but they preach for 30 minutes. That doesn't make sense, right? I am very into exposition. Um, but I do believe there is a time and a place and a season for topical. But that should be the, you know, season, not the normative. I, I do believe you should find a church that is primarily expositing the word. Um, and I, I love this quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Don't go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Go where the gospel is preached and go often. And I would agree with Spurgeon in that. Go where the gospel is preached. Um and I would include in this, and I actually include this under devoted to the teaching of the apostles, but discipleship. Is discipleship happening? That's training, that's teaching, that's mentorship, and that is discipline, accountability, right? In Hebrews 13, 17, it actually says that elders will have to give an account for the souls 
of those they were entrusted with, right? It is the leadership, the elders' priority to the well, the spiritual welfare of your soul. Um, so is it just a social club that talks about Christ, that talks about love, or is there true accountability? Is there true discipline? Is there true discipleship? Because if there's not, I would consider that a pretty essential thing. Okay, moving to point four, um, partnership, because of koinonia. Um, Romans 12, 4, we know that we, it says we have one body, many members, we don't have the same function, and we're one in Christ, um, but according to the gifts and the grace that's given to us, let us use them, right? And so partnership. So my fourth point is coming into a church, and what you're looking for is look to serve more than be served, right? Like, sure, they have this program, and this pastor is really good at exposing the, expositing the word in this way, and the worship team is really good at this and wow, their greeting team was so good at this. And But that's not what we're looking for. We're going into a church and saying, what would my function be? What would my role be? How can I use my giftings, right? We're looking to serve uh, because th the whole reason we're going to church is to grow and to help others grow to serve. And I think our mentality in approaching finding a church and looking for a church is, can I serve uh, this body? Right, and if one of the and this is one of the reasons I do struggle with larger, larger churches is a lot of people find by the fall by the wayside, and they have spiritual gifts, but they have nowhere to use them. Right, and I think we should be using our spiritual gifts to serve the church, um, and I think it's necessary. I think it's not just optional. I think it's 100% necessary to be looking how to serve um, the church. Right, so point five, fellowship. Practically speaking, is there healthy breaking of bread? Do they enjoy one another's company? Do they enjoy being together? Right? Do they hang out for coffee? Do they go play disc golf? Do they, you know, do they have um, hangouts for no reason? Do the do the kids like to go play airsoft together? Do you know? Maybe that's a Utah thing. I don't know, but. All of those questions matter. Do they, practically speaking, do they enjoy a healthy breaking of bread? Do they enjoy being with each other? Um, and then point six is the fellowship slash partnership slash apostles teaching. It's kind of all of that round in together, but I would argue that sacraments, you have to have the uphold of sacraments, right? And I know that people may say, well, apart from these three things, and this is a John Calvin thing, but apart from these three things, it is not not a church. One, they preach the word. Um, two, they uphold the sacraments. And three, there is discipline, right? And I agree with that. And kind of reflecting back on discipline, I do have a quote, but because some persons and their hatred of discipline recoil from its very name, let them understand this. If no society, indeed no house, which has even a small family can be kept in proper condition without discipline, it is much more necessary in the future, whose condition should be as ordered in the church, sorry, is much more necessary in the church whose condition should be as ordered as possible, John Calvin. And right, so we have the three pillars that Calvin says are necessary. Preach the word, which I've already said, uphold the sacraments, which now I'm saying, and then discipline, which I've already said as well. And so I'm including those three things that Calvin said are necessary for a church, but also kind of adding to, you know, these things that I see in Acts 2 as described early church model, right? And so do they uphold the sacraments? That is a partnership coming together in common union, vertical uh, worship, horizontal communion, togetherness. It is a necessa necessary component of any healthy church. Uh, I am under the impression that it should be more frequent than not, and I am looking to strive toward, as a pastor, getting to a weekly format, um, you know, like some of the Reformed Presbyterian or Dale Partridge types of people. I do really love the idea of doing it weekly because it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay, um, 
I don't even know where I'm at in my numbers anymore. I think I'm at seven. Uh, but do they pray and do they praise? Uh, this should be obvious, right? It says they're devoted to prayer and they sing, um, and we know that we're called to worship in spirit and truth. We know that we're called in Ephesians 4 to sing um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, but ultimately, I think there's a lot of preferences you can get into with worship, namely hymns or guitar or males only or, you know, or rock and roll, you know, uh, <laughs> ghost ship type of vibes, right? Like, I don't know what your preference is, but what I will say is try not to be too me focused on your preference and worship style, but rather ask the question, does the worship glorify God? Can I worship it with a true biblical conscious of this is truth and I can worship in spirit because it is true, right? So do they pray? Do they praise? Um, any true church, it's an essential aspect of a true church. Um, number nine is proximity matters. And this is not in number order of what I think is most important to least important. This is just an overall kind of trying to align it with Acts chapter two a little bit. But proximity matters. You have to be involved. You have to be engaged. So if you're far away and you can't be involved and you can't go help somebody when they're in need, you can't go help someone who's struggling with sin. You can't go meet someone with coffee. If you're not fellowshipping, you know, the Monday through Saturday, you're not interacting. Yeah, we can argue online and phone calls and things like that. But Proximity matters. If you can't commit to actually being engaged in that church more than once per week, then I think reevaluation needs to occur. Um, and then my last point is, does this church attempt to reach the lost? Every church is going to do it differently. Um, and some, some may have more success than others. I think prayer is the underlying feature that grants success, obviously. Um, but do they preach Christ? Do they preach repentance? Um, and do they use their money through Saturday uh, to reach the lost, right? And is that individually or is that corporately, right? I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, I think that's about all of the time I have to get through those 10, but my last little like list of avoids, uh, avoid churches that are weird. You will know it when you see it. Avoid churches that are grab your money. Um, if churches are trying to be money grabbers, avoid them. If they're overly political, um, avoid that. Don't look for programs. Make decisions after several visits. Pray, pray, pray. Um, and ultimately, I would just want to get this list out for you guys. And until next time, think on it.